studio live here on the what do you made of show some of you are listening to the podcast of course which is a replay and uh we're here with another great guest i want to thank all of you for joining us thank you for your support i'm going to continue to bring you great guests and as we revamp the show we're in season two uh, i i just i don't know how people do seasons on podcasts so i did like 400 some episodes because when i started podcasting, i didn't know what the hell i was doing and i ended up doing 400 some i don't even know the exact number but when i decided to do season two is only because i had to switch platforms and when I went to switch platforms to get back onto the uh, podcast streams, I couldn't get back into my old show. So I'm like, ah, oh, this is when people have season second seasons. So I started season two, and we're rocking and rolling here, and uh, just a great time. But today's guest, Adam Hill, is in the building. You're going to love his story. He's an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, CEO, and host of the top-rated podcast, Flow Over Fear, helping people to embrace fear and realize their ultimate potential and leadership in life. And we're going to hear the story of overcoming alcoholism unhealthy habits, how Adam reframed his anxiety disorder into a superpower, becoming a top amateur triathlete and inspiring leader and CEO of multi-generational business that he has helped grow to nine figures. And uh, look, he was also on NBC Sports Series, Iron Man, Quest for Kona. A lot of things here. I'm not going to get in anymore. I know he wrote a book too. We're going to talk about that, but let's, let's get into the show. Adam, welcome to the show, man. It was an honor to be here, and uh, I got to say, 400 episodes is a long first season, but that's great, man. <laughs> hey, I do things differently, I man. I don't do. I, I don't need to follow the norms. You know what I mean? <laughs> this life is my life to live, brother. Just that's like, right. Just you like you've it. been doing your thing, man. Because I've seen, uh, you know, I haven't done the triathlete thing yet, the Ironman thing. I haven't done that, and I, I feel like a badass, but I just haven't done that yet. And I and and, and when I meet people like that, I like get in my mind, like, oh, should I should I get on this train? But anyway. Uh, yeah, so so I want to welcome you to the show. This this starts the same way every time because otherwise I have a habit of getting down a rabbit hole. So we start with this question back here. What are you made of? Yeah, so uh, I'm made of. I, I I want to break this down into good and bad because I think we're all made. We all want to like just say, "Hey, this is the good stuff," right? I'm made of perseverance, discipline, and love for sure. Those are the good sides. I'm also made of fear, anxiety, and frustration, and uh, maybe a sprinkle of dad jokes here and there, but. That's really what I'm what I'm made of. And I and I, I highlight the bad because if we can actually name the the flaws that we have or, or name some of the flaws, that's one way, you know, from my 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 perspective, how we can start to rise above it and actually embrace it, maybe maybe use it to our advantage in some way. So that's that's uh that's what I'm made of. Yeah, man. Look, I love that. And you mentioned discipline and it takes discipline to do what you've done. And it also takes a passion, a drive, a, a laser focus. And you know the crazy thing about this? To me, as those things you've talked about have been used for good and to build and grow, they were also used to destroy you. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize, like, one of my mentors told me this, liabilities become assets, assets become liabilities. Discipline can be a bad thing if it's on the wrong thing. Quitting yeah. is not a bad thing. It's what you quit that's good or bad. Yeah. You know, and we hear all this stuff on Instagram and you know, I put a lot of content, you're putting a lot of content out and, and people listen to this stuff and they just don't really, I, I can't stand that they listen to some of the stuff that's out there because it's not true. Yeah. So anyway, talk, talk to me about discipline, brother. I, I yeah. want to know, you know, did discipline ever come up to you 
when you were going through drinking and, 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 and talk to me about that problem that you had and, and what kind of alcoholism did you have? Like the specifics? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so discipline, I think the first part of discipline in my life, and I'll touch on that first, uh, happened when I was in, in high school and, and that that's where I really found a passion with music. I started playing the cello when I was in high school and I started practicing that with discipline and playing like two or three hours a day and learning that I could actually, you know, one of my superpowers was just really laser focusing on something that I was passionate about and continuing to do it regularly when I had a goal in mind and when I was doing something I was passionate about and those crossroads led to something that I wanted to pursue. But uh, when I got into college, which was really my goal with music was I didn't have the academics or anything like that. So I'm like, yeah, I gotta, uh, so I used, I used the cello to get into college, which was my scholarship. Once I achieved that goal, I didn't really have anything after that. I stopped with music. I started more with the drinking, then anxiety became more of a, of, of a thing in my life. And, and I didn't have really from the alcohol perspective, I didn't really have any indication that I would become a problem drinker. It didn't run in my family. It wasn't genetic. It wasn't, there, there wasn't really any indication there. But the only thing was, is that the first time I drank alcohol, I realized like, I almost, I almost didn't know I had problems at that until that point, like with anxiety, fear, social stuff and all that. But then when I had that drink, it was like, oh my gosh, this is what life is like. This is amazing. And I, it made me the life of the party. It made me social. It made me you know, just really come out of my, come out of my shell. And there were no consequences at first, you know, I would have two or three beers, feel good, go home, wake up without a hangover and I'd be okay. But the problem with alcohol is when it solves a problem over time, it becomes this insidious, you know, persistent growing problem that, that that's what it became for me. My anxiety started to get worse throughout college. Uh, and, uh, I began to experience debilitating panic attacks and alcohol became a means to really suppress that. And so my life became kind of this vicious cycle of debilitating anxiety and panic when I was trying to make it through most days and then drinking myself into oblivion by night. And the, then the blackout started coming and things like that. The type of alcoholic that I would say that I was, um, I wasn't really the, the, uh, uh, the, the, really the, the bad withdrawal syndrome kind of thing or anything like that. I was a binger. Like, so once I started, once, once I opened that funnel, I just couldn't stop it. And, uh, and so I took that first drink and then I, I really just no no amount of drinking was enough to fulfill me until I, you know, got into a blackout or I just passed out. And so that would usually happen on weekends. That's what my weekends were, were made of. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of, that's really the kind of alcoholic that I became. Yeah. You know, um, when you stop doing it, you look back and you can't believe that you were like that. Am I right? Yeah, right. You that? 100%. And, and, and then when I talk about my days back then, because I got into drugs as well, party drugs, like, you know, weed and, and, and cocaine and ecstasy, like in college. And I, I, did, I didn't drink until I got to, 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 to out, out of high school, my summer mm -hmm. year or the summer after my high school. I didn't drink because I was an athlete. I was focused. And then I got into that stuff. And like you said, it grabs you because it's like when I was doing, doing all that, I felt like the man. Yeah. And for some reason, the people in that 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 kind of group, it wasn't like people lay on the streets doing drugs. Right. It was it was party fun. Like and it make you feel like on top of the world. And that's why it's so powerful. But I, mm -hmm. I look back and I talk about those days. I, f I feel sick to my stomach that that was me. You feel yeah. that, too? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, and, and that's that was it, too. I, I have this very similar experience. It was like you're you're into something. You're focused. You you're an athlete. I was a musician and, and you had that thing. And it was like you had something that filled you up. Then you had this emptiness. Or then you have this other thing where it's like, 
well, now I'm surrounded by friends and being reinforced with this idea that drinking is a good thing and and that I'm kind of a hero because I don't have hangovers and and I'm the life of the party. And yeah, there just wasn't any wasn't any real consequences. So yeah, when I do look back on when it got really bad, of, yeah, it was just like it was. It's clear to me. Oh man, I had no control over my life. I had no control, and I didn't. You know, alcohol. You know, we talk a lot about in the in the program about higher having a higher power, and you know, a lot of reluctance to find that higher power when you're getting into and into recovery. But regardless of that, alcohol was my higher power. I mean, that was just it was just something I could not control in my life. Yeah. And then, so what, what happened to change that? What, like, did you hit a wall at some point? Not, not literally, but you know, almost, almost literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I did hit a bottom. I, I, uh, so I got in a DUI accident, uh, about 11 years ago, which was, uh, the last, right after the last drink I had. Um, I don't remember getting behind the wheel. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember the accident. I remember coming to in the back of a police car, and it it was just the most most shameful, most frightening, most just you know out of body moment for me because I know that I'm I I, I know that I'm not a bad person, right? I mean I'm I'm not out to do bad things. Yeah. yeah. But this was something that I hated, and I and I I realized I hated myself, and I was doing bad things. I was doing horrible things that were putting other people's lives at risk. And that was really kind of that trigger point of just sitting in jail and, and having that conversation with myself. It's like, well, I have no control over this thing. I could either end my life or I could go get help. And I tried the help thing before and it, 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 it quote unquote didn't work for me, but I really wasn't working it. Um, yeah. and, and, but this time it was like, I could either end my life or, or I could, I could go and save it. And, uh, you know, fortunately I, whatever, you want to call it whether it was just the right decision or divine intervention. I believe it, it was divine intervention that that you know God was with me, and um, I was able to move into uh, I was able to go into recovery and really dig in and and that's where the second time I found discipline was just being disciplined with the program at that point. Yeah, so you know your your friends changed at that time too, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know that's the hard part about it because you got to shed friends. Yeah, and yeah. then it's and it's isolating feeling. You know, this this happens with this situation. It happens when you want to take your life to another level in any aspect. Let's say you're training for a triathlon, right? People don't get it. Right. And then you got to yeah. have a whole, you know, you, there are a lot of people out there that have communities for this, but like you, you shed friends, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Ben Hardy uh, wrote the book 10X is, is Easier Than 2X. He, he kind of addresses this in that where you, or if you want to take your life to the next level, just like you said, you have to be able to shed the 80% that you once were to really lean into a new part of what you want to become that 20%. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's exactly it. Fortunately, when I was, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, but I didn't have a lot of friends in the first place that were drinkers. Like when I was drinking, I was a solo drinker. I drank alone and I tried to convince everybody else that I didn't have a problem. And, uh, and so, so the, the challenge for me was actually just leaning into community and really becoming honest with myself and then making those friends of people that were sober, like joining the cult, so to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that was the big challenge for me when I came, when I became sober. Yeah. So then from there, uh, well, how did you get into ad, like triathlons? Like where yeah. did that start? 
<laughs> so uh, over, over that first year of sobriety, like, and, and I, I constantly heard from all of the old timers, you know, don't make any major life changes your first year in recovery. Don't make any major life changes your first year in recovery. And so I did what I was told because I was, you know, that discipline piece. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm told. I'm going to do exactly what they say. But when I heard that, I heard, I heard that, you know, at a year of sobriety now, I have to make a major life change because that's just like everybody's saying, don't make any major life changes until then. Well, now I have to. And uh, one of the things that was really weighing on me was my physical health. I was just, I wasn't in good shape. I was still smoking. I was not eating very healthy. And I wanted to make a change there. I saw what I was capable of with sobriety. And that was a big transformation for me because that was a point of reference for what I could become. And I wanted to make that with a physical transformation as well. And so when I was, when I had that year of sobriety, I kind of came to remember this time when I watched the Ironman world championship on television, maybe 10 years earlier, when I was still in the midst of my anxiety, alcoholism, all that stuff, I was watching it on television. I saw the people, the people swimming 2.4 miles, biking 112 miles and running a full marathon. And I was like, what the heck are these people doing? This is crazy. And, and I remember like at that time, even I had that little moment, that little spark of like, well, what if I could do something like that? That would be amazing. And just like many people uh, would do in that situation, that fear immediately shut it down. My mind basically said, no, you can't do that. You're an alcoholic. You smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. You're unhealthy. You've never even biked a, a, on a road bike before or swimming in the ocean. What makes you think you could do that? And so I just shut it down. Never thought about it again until I had a year of sobriety. Then it came back up. And with that shifted mindset that I got from, from that year of sobriety of just doing something that I never thought that I could do, it's like I was able to entertain that idea and say, well, what if I could? And then I, I have this idea that you have this, this moment where fear and excitement rise up in equal measure. And it's basically your heart and your brain simultaneously screaming at you like Eureka and no at the same time. And a lot of times our brains scream louder than our hearts and we say no to the thing. But when we have the right amount of passion, the right amount of uh, commitment, and we have the points of reference for success behind us, our hearts can scream louder than our brains. And then we can like actually lean into it and start to pursue it. And that's what happened in that moment. And I decided that even though I'd never done a triathlon before, never really ridden a road bike or swam much more than the distance of a pool before, uh, that I'd sign up for my first Ironman and kind of build the parachute on the way down. So, <laughs> and then how long did you train before you actually competed? So the first, yeah, the first one took a year. So uh, uh, I, I I signed up for that Ironman about a year before it uh, uh, the the race was going to happen. So that was the accountability piece. So you know, I dropped like seven hundred bucks on it, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And uh, and then I and then I signed up for a bunch of of smaller races to start with like a sprint triathlon and then an olympic and so over that course of that year i i just basically tried to research and figure out the best way to train and one of the greatest things that i found out about uh, uh learned about discipline through this process is that many of the things that we want to achieve over a longer period of time require require endurance whether it be you know doing an endurance sport or starting a business or investing or things like that or whatever it may be they they require endurance and a lot of times how we approach those things to start is we just jump in with everything we've got. We go too hard, too fast right at the beginning. We burn ourselves out. And that's what I had been doing with fitness for my entire life. Whenever I jump in anything, I'd, I'd get these fits of like, 
well, I need to get my stuff together and I need to just start getting in shape. So I would jump into like P90X or whatever it might be and just do it all hardcore. And then I'd burn myself out or get injured or something like that and give up. Um, but with, with triathlon, what it taught me right away was like, no, I, I, I learned about a method of training right away that was, you know, was basically, no, you have to slow down. You have to go slower than you think that you need to go in order to build that endurance. You need to start out really easy. You need to build that volume. And, and that's, that's what I did. And it was painfully slow at first. I was like, I'm not making any difference. I'm going, I'm running like a 15 minute mile to keep my heart rate low enough to, to, to make this work. But over time, like with that discipline, with that consistency, I got faster under that same heart rate until I got to the point where I was able to like actually be at the top 20% of the field. And I think that's one of the pieces of discipline that we often miss. We all inherently know the piece, the part of discipline that says we need to be consistent, but we miss the piece that says we also need to slow down. We need to slow down in order to maintain the capacity to keep that persistence going. Uh, that's, that's yeah, the first that. thing I learned about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, I was saying thrust is a must. Because uh, when when you need to, you need to thrust, but you can't thrust all the time because then that would be thrust. That would be pace. So, um, but but pacing is important, you know. And mm. and how did you end up on NBC? Like, what, how did that call, come about? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so I, I I'd been doing triathlon for a couple of years uh, and uh, doing it pretty intensely. Got really disciplined with it, and in those first couple of years of racing, I started getting pretty decent at the sport and started getting to a point where I was finishing in the top 20, top 10% of the field. And I realized that like, well, at that point I have maybe, I just, it, my goal was to qualify for the race in Hawaii, the Ironman world championship. That was my goal since the very beginning. I was like, I want to do that. I want to be on that show. I want to do, do that, that, uh, that race. And I knew that, and I found out really quickly that in order to do that, I needed to become like the top 1% of triathletes in the world. And so that was kind of where I was going. So I became one of the top 10% in those first two years, just with the discipline, and the consistency. And, and so my goal was over those next couple of years was to find that last 10%. And in that time, as I was doing that, as I was starting to, uh, starting to implement the, those last 10% strategies. And I love that your thr uh, th uh, thrust is a must that, that philosophy, because yeah, the, in that last 10%, that's where it's like, you know, so important to implement those strategies to, to get to there. I, um, and so I, I, in that last, in, uh, at, at that time, I uh, saw that there was a casting call for that, for a reality show called Ironman Quest for Kona. They were going to follow 10 athletes of all varying capabilities, uh, to, to follow their training path and see if they could qualify for the Ironman world championship in one of the races that they were going to be in. So I was selected as one of those athletes. And, uh, over that time, I, I, uh, 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 along with, you know, those 10 other athletes, I trained, I filmed myself. I, I did all of this to, to, to get to a race in Santa Rosa where I, that was going to be my qualifying race and, um, and got to the race, you know, had cameras on me the entire time, basically following me on the bike for five hours, uh, following me on the run for three and a half hours. And I, you know, I did that race. I ended up finishing third in my age group, which was good enough to qualify for the, the world championships, the third out of about 300 guys. And, uh, and yeah, that's where I qualified. I achieved it there and that was in 2017 and yeah, that was awesome. And what has been, been, uh, being on that show done for you? It's given me an, it, it, I think first of all, it's given me another point of reference 
for the things that I can't achieve. I mean, when I look back on that journey of like, even, even going back to my drinking days, I look at like this despair person where I have, I have uh, the blessing and the, uh, and the grace of seeing both ends of the spectrum of knowing what it feels like to be at the very bottom, hopeless, feeling like there's nothing left, like, and that, that, that life has given up on me and I'm giving up on life. And I also have the benefit of being at the top of the world, the best physical shape in the world, the best, like, uh, uh, you know, the most successful doing something that many people don't even have a chance to do. And I've learned that, that any of us can have the capability to get there, to do that. And that, that's why, so I've learned through that entire process that there is hope beyond hopelessness. And that's the first message that I want to share with anybody that's struggling, that's thinking that whatever condition that they're in is hopeless. There's always hope to find beyond that. And, um, and there's always a change. There's always transformation. And then the second is just like, you know, that, that with the right amount of discipline, with the right mental attitude and the right focus, you can really achieve anything you put your mind to. I mean, we've proven it as humanity time and time again through the history of the world. I mean, just look at the world around us at what we've achieved. And each of us has that capability. Did you find that, did you find that uh, when you accomplished something, it was important to put something else out in front of you after having the success and not gluten in it for too long? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I, I think the finish line is another starting line. Because when, when I got to that finish line on Elite E-Drive, it was like the biggest you know, deal of my life. It was just like, wow, I can't believe I achieved my dream. And it's literally a moment in time. I mean, I crossed the finish line. I had about 15, min 15 seconds of euphoria and like this pure joy. And it was immediately replaced with like, ah, oh, man, I'm sore. Now, where's the pizza? You know, what's next? Yeah. So it's like, it's always like, well, what's next? I mean, if you're in that zone, if you're living in that for too long, you kind of atrophy. So that, that cliche of like, if you're not growing, you're dying. I believe it's true. Yeah. So you had to go through like a recovery period, right? And be smart. Yeah. But yeah. also continue to, once you get through that, to have a plan to, to continue. So after you do Ironman, like, do you continue to do them? Or is there, like, how do you keep, how, what kind of shape do you keep your body in in between? Or, or if you decided not to do anymore, like, how do you keep your body up? Like, what do you do? Yeah, so it's been a couple of years since I've done a race. It's, it's been about a year since I've done a half Ironman. And, and I've actually kind of semi-retired from it. I maybe may go back to it at some point. But, but at this point, I'm focused on other things. But. I, I've learned that I don't need to be in that peak physical condition all the time. I mean, I need to be in what I call a, an optimal physical condition. And for me, that just means that I have, that I'm taking care of myself every day, that I'm working out every day, that I'm, that I'm doing something active every day, but I'm also making the time to spend with my family, to work in the business, to work on other things. So now what I do is I'm, I'm working the next kind of finish line for me is I'm working on getting a black belt in karate, something that I've always wanted to do. And, uh, so that's like a few years process, but, uh, I get to do it with my kids. I get to do it with my wife and oh, that's awesome. uh, it's something we can do together. So, yeah. No, I love that you did found something that you can, you can all do together. Cause sometimes, yeah. you know, us guys will go off and do something with our buddies or on our own and it's not in, in integrating into our family. So no, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, that, that just kind of spurred me to think about that. What could I do with my family like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So within the business side of things, you know, being a CEO now, like what, what kind of business are you in and you know, how are you making money? Yeah. So we're, we're a fourth generation family business. Uh, so my great grandfather started this company on the West coast. It's uh, called Hill brothers chemical company. We sell, uh, 
environmental, industrial chemicals for water treatment, sewage treatment, a lot of the stuff you don't want to think about before you, you know, after you flush it, before you turn on the faucet, that's where somebody's got to do it. Chemicals right? going right. <laughs> so we've been doing that for a hundred years. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I took over the role of a CEO about six years ago and, uh, and, and yeah, it's been great. It's it. So my, my goal for the next, uh, next few years is to really work on empowering our employees to kind of build into their own leadership roles and really building this company into something more than just, you know, selling these, these products, but more, more just providing personal development for everybody who's working with us, because that by extension extends out into our communities. You know, that's how I've operated in my businesses is that I'm a people builder. Yeah. And so we're not building the business itself without building the people. So mm -hmm. no, again, full alignment with that, man. I love it. Now, some people will push against you and then you got to figure out whether they align with the company or not. You know, right. this company here, we're going to be getting better. If you don't want to do that, you're going to hold us all back. And it only takes one person that can hold the whole team back. Yeah, you know, so and I, I fought with that for a while. I was like, man, am I pushing people too hard? Am I? But at the end of the day, like if we're going in a direction and I'm the one that's leading it, mm -hmm. you know, I'm responsible for the other people that could be building and being better. So uh, again, I love that too. And then, you know, so then the podcast space, um, you know, why, why did you decide to come on today? Number one, and then, yeah. and then what is podcasting done for you having your own show? Right. You got the show right. flow over fear and then going on other people's shows. Like what has that done for you and in, in, in your business? Yeah. So, um, so I, I really, the, the podcast is, is more for me, my personal brand and, and, and all of that. Cause I do speaking and other things like that. But, uh, but the reason that I want to do that is because I do really want to share that message with people that, that there is hope beyond the hope, beyond hopelessness and that fear in and of itself. I know that there's a lot of a lot of people that are experiencing fear out there. I mean, we're all experiencing it. It's a, it's a human emotion. And what I want to represent to people, because I felt it for so long, I fought against it. I pushed it down. I suppressed it through, you know, unhealthy habits. But what I want to share with people is that it's okay to feel it. And when you feel it, it's, a, it's actually okay to experience it and ask what it's signaling. Because there may be times where it's signaling danger. And yes, when it's something signaling danger, you may want to escape the danger. But oftentimes, I think more often than that, it's signaling that we have an opportunity. It's just telling us that we're pushing against the edge of our comfort zone. And that's a useful signal too, because when we're signaled at that, we're like, holy cow, this is scary. That means I have an opportunity on the other side of this. How can I just push just a little bit farther? And you don't have to swan dive over it. I always just advocate just pushing just 5% beyond your comfort zone. And so that's what I do on, on the, the podcast is I want to interview people that have unique experiences with fear, have unique perspectives on it, that uh, uh, that talk about how they overcame it to achieve an amazing life, really the human side of high performance. I love it. Love it, man. Thanks. You're my kind of guy, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so from here, like, if, if you had everything your way and I was able to snap my fingers and make it happen, right, for your personal brand, what do you see happening? And, like, where do you want to take that? Because, look, you know you can accomplish whatever you want. So why not, like, just paint the picture? Yeah. 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 So I would love to see the, the, uh, uh, I would love to see the podcast just get in front of more people. Um, uh, just, you know, a, a, I, I, I don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of interest in being, you know, just a high profile personality or anything like that, but I just want the podcast to get in front of the right people, the people that need it uh, and, uh, and, and have that message out there. I would love to be on stages sharing this message because I think that's where my passion 
and my and and my purpose align, uh, and and where I think I can make the most impactful difference. Uh, so so those are really the two things that I want to want to bring to the world. Love it, man. Well, you know, I can help you with that kind of stuff. I have an yeah. idea on that, but <laughs> no. And the reason, like, I asked that question, and I think everybody should hear this, is that the more you are a causer and creator of futures for yourself mm-hmm. and others, it's super attractive. And, you know, I think that, you know, everybody that's always, you know, I've been attracted to, to work with or be around, hang out with, spend time with, or listen to were people that cause and created futures and they look, seem like they did it effortlessly. But mm-hmm. I know there's, you know, the journeys to success, as we talk about on the show a lot is invisible, but it just made it seem that way. And, you know, I ask those questions because I love helping people. You know, one thing, Adam, when I wake up in the morning, look, of course we need money and I want to have money and I've made money in my life, but. I'm obsessed with elevating people. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it. And any way that I could possibly uh, do so for you or anybody that you know, like I'm, I'm just want you to know when you come on the show, you become a friend of mine. So, uh, and you can't That's escape really. that, you yeah. know, I just, I'm, I'm here and I'm, you know, always available to you. So I appreciate that. I love your mission. I thank you for being here. Where's the best place, place for uh, people to engage with you further? Yeah. So on social, on, on Instagram, I'm uh, at the Adam C Hill. Uh, and, um, and if you want to find me on YouTube, which is where you can find the podcast and everything, it's just at Adam C. Hill. And uh, yeah, that'd be the best place to start. Awesome, man. I love it. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for coming here and trying to find something that you can take into your life to become unstoppable, to live in your life, to live in the life of your dreams. It's your boy C-Rock from That One Studios on the What Are You Made Of show. Until next time, be that one. Adam, hold tight. Yeah, but I won't do that twice, it made me nervous Let's get to work again I'm like check one, check two, go on Yeah, this bitch, no, want this, want that